0: Uh, James James Fairfield still keeps coming back and and like kicking me in the butt. So last year uh, they had this youth thing and they're out and they got the megaphone and apparently he broke the megaphone. So Christie goes, "You need to go replace this megaphone." So James did. But we had like this big megaphone and it's, and he bought this like tiny little black one. You know, it's like one of the ones that like, "Hey, I want to sound like a general Lee." No, 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 no. One of those. That's what he bought. So. Uh, I don't have a megaphone for for handing out the prizes today. Does anybody here own a megaphone? <gasps> do you? Yes. A big one? Yes. Are you coming to the movie? No, no we went last, we last night with a group of us.
1: No. Okay, but you have one. <laughs> but you have one. Yes, I do. Okay,
0: <laughs> I will come get it after service today. Probably about two o'clock. Okay. <laughs> you all just got back into the trivia. <laughs> yeah. I knew someone had every service. No, no. Yes! Oh, see, this just shows you that the grace of God is alive and well. (laughs) Somebody has a megaphone, and I get to use it. Excellent. All right. So, if you have been doing our Advent journey with us and you have an Advent booklet, I think we are officially out at this point. Uh, but your your Advent journey is not done. Tomorrow there are still devotions that do a week five, and so they're on page seventy four, which is day five or week five day one. Uh, if you have them for sermon notes this morning, that'll be on page fifty nine. Uh, if you are newer to Element. Sorry about all the shenanigans. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are, uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. You click on live and we will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes and verses and questions and all that goes along with today's message, as well as, uh, you know, some announcements and things like that. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for prayer? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for being a God that loves us and that enjoys laughter and joy. I ask that you would teach us how to live with a sense of wonder in who you are and what you do. That you would change our mindsets and our hearts to be full of joy and grace and hope and love because you have brought those things into our lives. Teach us to be a people that love you because we understand how you have first loved us. Amen. Have a seat. Now, normally during Advent, right here, I would play the, the Advent reading in this, but today I'm going to take a couple of minutes before we start to do something a little different. Uh, this is the last week of Advent before Christmas Eve. The focus on the fourth week of Advent is typically... Peace. So it's typically peace. It comes from Isaiah 9, 6 that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The typical Advent reading that is done for this is what's called the Magnificent, which is Mary's song. So if you're the mother of Jesus and you write songs, they get put in the Bible. How's that for pretty cool? Uh, when, whenever anybody does Advent messages, what, what they do is they usually go to you know Matthew and Luke in the beginning of chapters of that because that's like the first Christmas. But I want to start with what's before that, Mary's song, and I want you to listen to certain things in that as we go through that. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter one so you can read along. But when you hear Mary's song, I want you to go back and think of how she responded in it because I think this is the beginning of Christianity. Mary is the first one to hear the message, the Christmas message, especially in the Christian context of Jesus. And as I listened and I read a whole bunch of stuff, I kind of think this is the place of conversion for her, I think she can teach us for about our own Christian experience if you are a believer and if you're not, you can get a better idea of what Christianity actually entails. I think a lot of people over the years before Jesus was born, they were always looking forward to the Messiah. What is the Messiah going to do? What is he going to bring when he comes? And so the hope of all the scriptures pointed to Jesus. That's why the first week we talked about hope. It's why that candle is lit up there but then you have that the Messiah comes and Mary begins to understand the actual Christian message that Jesus the Son of God was going to descend to earth be born as a human being we talked about the incarnation because God loves us and that was the second week and then Jesus takes up the kingdom of the Father he makes everything new again that brings joy to his people so we talked about joy and all these things come together which leads to peace that God has brought his peace to us and the understanding of salvation so I want you to listen for that as you do your Advent reading, and here it is. Luke one 39 through 39-55. Mary visits Elizabeth. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry,
1: Blessed are you among women, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever.
0: If you actually watch the message online, it's not going to do the Star Wars scroll. We don't want to pull away from it, but we thought it would be kind of fun. Just, whatever. You get it, it makes sense. But then I'll say this, and it'll be on the video, and be like, What? So... It'll be kind of kind of interesting and all that. Uh, Jesus says, John 12, 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So Jesus talks about his words and his message, that those words themselves, when we hear them and we don't live in them, they actually will be the ones that come to judge us. I think that and the message of Christmas are eventually the same thing. I mean, we sing these songs every year. Hark the herald angels sing. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second Birth, I, I listen to the radio today and, and I hear a lot of bands that don't even believe in Jesus, actually kind of anti-Jesus, and they sing Christmas songs. Like I heard this band was totally anti-Jesus sing like Silent Night. I'm like, really? <laughs> and, and like they sing these songs and I think one day at people where they realize it or not, those words that we sang, those things that we said, those words are things that can come back to judges. Welcome to Advent. Judgment. There you go, right? You know, how do, how we respond to the gospel is very critical. Uh, Tim Keller says, Mary responds in four ways. And I want you to kind of see how, what that looks like and how maybe you have responded in your life. He calls these centrality, wonder, fear, and truth. So I'm going to jump in fast to kind of head through these things. The first one he talks about is centrality. Uh, Mary says this in verses 46 and 47. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Now, you think, what is she talking about? Well, soul and spirit there, they're being used interchangeably. It's repetition. It means that she has been moved to the depth of her being, all that she is. Your soul and your spirit are those things that do not change. They last forever. She says, I have been moved to my very depths by the message of what God is going to do. She doesn't respond like a stoic and like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I can talk about that later. She doesn't respond like a like a seeker and oh, maybe I'll read some books about this because my curiosity is peak. Instead, what she says, is my soul, my spirit, everything in me, everything about me. I am beside myself because nothing has gripped my heart like this before. Nothing has moved me like this. Nothing has done this before in my life. The gospel becomes central to her life. It becomes the most important thing and the hundredth most important thing. It becomes all of that Together, there is centrality about her Christian experience that she's been moved in her center. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me when I say that, because for a lot of people, sometimes that happens in stages. And there is nothing more dangerous than trying to standardize a Christian experience. John Bunyan, for example, he is the this guy that wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Progress about 300 years ago. Over 300 years, this book has spoken into and blessed a lot of Christians throughout the ages. But if you read his biography, he will tell you that his conversion experience took 18 months of God leading him and drawing him and him hearing the gospel and God doing certain things in his life. In the book of Acts, you hear that this Philippian jailer hears the gospel the first time and he is like totally in, getting baptized. It's like he's just crazy about it. For me, I think it was seventeen years of God drawing me and calling me. And it's wrong for us to say it has to be all like John Bunyan, you know, where it's all slow and process, or it has to be like the Philippian jailer who's like, Sweet Jesus, bells and whistles, right? You know, it's wrong to standardize things because Mary is in the middle of that. Tim Keller says Mary had three stages to her coming to Christ. And I want to talk to you about these. Her first stage was incredulity. Incredulity means disbelief. It's like when you watch the Princess Bride and the and the short little bald guy's like, inconceivable, right? That's incredulity. It's the opposite of faith. Like, it is inconceivable to me that American Idol is still on TV. <laughs> Just inconceivable to me, or that anybody likes pickles or mustard or broccoli you know when things turn green in your fridge you're supposed to throw them away and not eat them that's how it's supposed to work Mary the first time she hears the gospel message in Luke 1 34 she says how will this be what she says is this is impossible there is no way this could be true most people when an angel shows up they, they like pee their pants Mary she like tells the angel you're talking gibberish it's kind of funny But this is true of the gospel. Unless you've heard the Christian message and either found it too good to be true, or you're like, what the what? Maybe you've never really understood it. I think a lot of the best minds in Christianity today originally found the message doubtful. They were, they were like, inconceivable, I I don't know what this is. And I think there's a difference between, you know, kids who were raised in the church and hearing about it all their lives, like John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, he kinda grew up with it, he understood it, he believed it early in his life. But I'm saying, for most people, it's okay when you hear the gospel at first to find it impossible that you have to come to terms with it. Uh, imagine it's like this. Uh, you find out that it's your job to break to one of your friends that they have just inherited $2 billion from a relative they didn't even know they had. Okay, That's your job. And so you go and you tell them. What's the response going to be? Right. Is it April? Am I being punked? Inconceivable. Right? That, that's, that's what the response is. We all would. If anybody is not surprised by an inheritance of $2 billion, you're out of touch with reality. In the same way, Mary's first response is the Princess Bride. It's inconceivable. And if you kind of never had a stage like that, you might never never have actually seen what the Bible promises us as believers, or you may not have understood the depth of your own sin. To be like, really? God wants to save me? Which leads to the second stage, which is where a lot of Christians live their lives. We call this confused submission. Okay? Confused submission. Luke 138, uh, Mary, Mary says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord be it unto me according to thy will. That's the King James. In the ESV, she says, Let it be to me according to your word. What she's not saying is, I get it. She's not saying I understand it all. Because at first the gospel's like impossible, but then she thinks about it and God is moving in her heart. She has this middle stage. She doesn't think it's ridiculous, but she doesn't understand it all. But she submits. God, I, I love you. I see what you're doing. I'm, I'm going to follow you, even though I don't get all of it. And this is where the beauty of God drawing us comes in. This is where people will say things like, oh, I found Jesus, even though it's Jesus finding us. And people start to pray things like, God, I know I need you, and I need this. this it, it makes sense to me, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this, but I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to trust you. There are a lot of places in the Christian world where people are asked to make a decision to follow Jesus. Most people, when they make this decision, they're not in like the magnificent stage where it's like, Oh, my soul, my spirit. They're in like a confused submission state where God is drawing them and moving them. And they're like, I don't get it all. I don't really understand it all, but I want in. I want in because you have saved me. And the third stage eventually comes, and this is the idea of comprehension. This is kind of when it starts to click. For me, uh, this was probably more than a year after I surrendered my life to Jesus. Because even today, Jesus is still calling me and drawing me and revealing to me His peace and His mercy and His grace. For Mary, there's this great moment where it kind of clicks for her. She goes to Elizabeth's house, and you saw it in, in the reading. Uh, Luke 1.43, and Elizabeth says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In verse 45, it says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I mean, why has the mother of my Lord come to me? Bam! And it starts to come together for Mary. She goes, wait a minute. In verse 49, she says, he's the mighty one. Verse 50, he has been merciful to me. She sees how it all be- is beginning to come together. And then she bursts out in this comprehension, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I know a lot of us would say, well, if an angel appeared to me and an angel spoke the gospel to me, I'd say, finally, God's given me a clear message, but not Mary. An angel shows up, she still didn't get it. It wasn't until she had a talk with her cousin that she began to get it. This is why at element we think it's very important for you to be in gospel communities. Because you may be spending a lot of your Christian walk in confused submission. But as you start to talk to other people about it, about your confused submission, about certain issues, it starts to go deeper and God uses people in your life to grow you to understand more and more things. This is God uses a lot of people in our lives to bring us to the place of comprehension. And, and I think when you, when you get this, you'll see, like when the scripture uses the word, when God says, seek me. It's, it's not that God's trying to play hide and seek with you. It's not that He's hiding. It's God drawing you. It's God drawing you. And I think He begins to give you comprehension. And like Mary, I think it finally comes. And there's a lot of different ways that that can eventually happen. I think it's slowly like John Bunyan, or middle-sized like Mary, immediately like the Philippian jailer. It can happen in a lot of different ways. But the question of Advent and Christmas, it comes down to the idea, has it happened to you? Has it happened to you? Is this where you are? Have you been moved in your depths? Have you sensed God dealing with you and moving within you and bringing you His peace? And sometimes people will even respond different ways in this. John Bunyan, in those 18 months, will tell you he was really depressed. Like, what's God doing in me? Oh, my, you know, He's totally depressed about it. Mary goes to talk to her friend. The Philippian jailer is just like, oh, yeah, You know, nutty like that. People respond in, in different ways. Some people get hostile. I know some people who have said, I wish i never heard of Jesus. I wish I had to go back the way I used to, where it didn't bother me not to care about anybody. I think that was me. But anyway. There, there are all sorts of ways of dealing with it, but the gospel is inside of you. It is working on you. Jesus has come into your life. He's beginning, and you may want to run, and you may say, I hate this, I don't, and you just run away, but you know something is going on, because He is dealing with you on the inside. The one who made the world at the beginning, that made you at the beginning, is now beginning to remake you again. Sometimes when people leave element, they say because I talk about Jesus too much or I offend them. or Usually it's because of me. It's okay. I get it. I I can live with it, right? I guess I should care more. Yes. Anyway. uh, Sometimes people will say, "I, I hate what you said or I don't understand or I struggle with this. I'll tell you, I have a lot more hope for those people because they're dealing with it. They're thinking about it. They're walking through those things. I think those people end up being real followers of Christ. I think I think much more so than people just say yeah sure I believe in Jesus don't make a federal case out of it I get it because that's not the way Mary had it it's it's the the mark of a Christian is the, is the gospel Jesus becomes central to our lives. The second thing is this idea of wonder. It took me a long time to get there. I'll go faster, I promise, okay? Uh, when you hear her song, verse 46 to 49, she says, "My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me." And when she says for me, that's not just For her, she's looking at all the history of salvation, all the history of the world, and realizes it's coming down to her, the baby inside of her. So she has this note of joy and astonishment in her, because she has wonder. The Bible says that one of the marks of a follower of Christ is there's this note of surprise and wonder in our lives. We say, God came to save me? Inconceivable, right? It's me? He's saving me? The essence of Christianity is not going to church. It's not believing certain creeds. It's not living a certain kind of life because if that's all that it is, there's no wonder in your life because your Christianity is centered on what you're doing. Christianity must be centered on what Jesus has done for us, done to us. That's where surprise and wonder come in. John Newton writes this hymn, Let us love and sing and wonder, let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the law's loud thunder, he has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood, he has brought us nigh to God. Why why is he so full of love and wonder and song? Because he understands, Jesus has sought me, he has bought me, he has brought me home. God has done all of this. And I say this a lot to you. There are two understandings of Christianity out there. One is, it's us finding God. And the other, it is God finding us. If it's you finding God, there's no surprise. There is no wonder. God had a busted compass, and you figured these things out, and then you went and found Him because He was lost in the woods. Thank God you found God, or God had been lost forever. Good for you, right? But if it's God finding you, there is overwhelming joy and surprise and wonder. Christianity is about God's revelation of Himself. It's all about grace. Anybody here have a problem losing stuff? I, okay, good. I lose things all the time. I'm on this beta program for this app. It's called Pixie. And so I stick it on my phone. I stick it on my laptop. I stick it on my dog because, yes, I lose my dog. Uh, and, and I stick it on my keys. I gotta, and so I can find it. And you take my phone. You turn it like this, and it tells you where things are. This is really helpful when the dog is passing gas because she ate too many Christmas cookies. And I where's the dog? There she is. Out! Got a... It's not me blaming it on the dog. I swear it's the dog. I promise. Okay. But so, you got this thing. And, and I'm always asking people around me to help me find certain things. Again, you know, like my, like my keys or my phone or my Star Wars tickets. Right? <laughs> things like that. The, the week I was writing this message, I lost my keys again. I'm searching for them for like 20 minutes and I asked, so I was talking to somebody and they go, what well, did you retra- retrace your steps? Just retrace your steps. And I go, Okay, and I found my keys. There is no wonder in that. I just retraced my steps and found them. Tim Keller tells us a story about how he once lost his cell phone. And I totally understand it because it happens to me all the time. So he's like, he can't find it. So he decides I'm going to have to buy a new one. Got to figure out where the money for that's going to come from. And then somebody calls the church and said, hey, I found this cell phone. He says he had such joy because if someone hadn't found him, he would never have found it. And that's the idea of Christianity. That's what it's about. I mean, do you look at yourself and are you amazed that God would deem to save you? That God would bring peace to you? Do you ever sit and say, I remember when I didn't believe any of these things. I don't know how I could have been so blind and not loved Jesus. And if you don't think of yourself that way now, if there's no sense of joy and wonder. You might have missed the point of the gospel. You might have missed the point. If you don't look at yourself and say, for me, of all people a Christian I'm a knucklehead and yet Jesus saved me I mean you walk around your life and say oh of course I'm a Christian I was raised a Christian I try really hard but I do it if that's your attitude you have no understanding of the gospel none your religion is religion it's you finding God instead of a relationship with the God of the universe and you would say never in a million years would I have found him if he hadn't found me and opened my eyes and called me and loved me do you feel that way Because when you feel that way, you begin to understand God's peace. And if you don't feel that way, you may not have understood God's peace. The third thing is fear. I know you go from centrality to wonder to fear. It's like, ah, right? Mary says this, verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. In Psalm 130 it says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So, how does that even work? Like, those who have His mercy are the ones who fear Him. And and are you afraid of mercy? Your mercy brings... How do those things work together? I think one of the biggest differences between a Christian and a religious person is the difference in how the fear of God works. There's two ways this works. A religious person has a fear of God's laws. They say, God's going to squish me like a bug if I don't do what He has said, and that's my motivation to obey, because God's mean He's going to whack me. A person who lives in loving relationship with God has an understanding of this fear of God that God made the universe with the Word. That God is all-powerful, that God is all-sovereign, that we are to respect and honor Him. But they would also say, but I love God so much that I don't want to wound or ever disappoint Him. I mean, if you're scared someone's going to hurt you, there's a respect and a fear in that. But if you're also around somebody who you love so much and you know they love you, that they love you so much, there becomes a focus. You don't want to do anything to disappoint them. I mean, that's how I feel about my wife. I mean, that's why I think about a Christmas present before I give it to her. I want to give her something really cool that she's like, yay! So she hugs me and kisses me and maybe more. You know, it's, that that she's, you know, I, I don't do it because, oh, oh, I hate this and and I have, that's not how I, I live because I love her so much. I want to give her something that she really enjoys. Many people go to church their entire lives and they end up being really moral. But when you truly become born again, when the gospel changes your heart, something happens. There's this revolution on the inside. I mean, you on the outside may be very moral and, and, and really nice, but when the gospel changes you, everything changes inside. I mean, People may say to you, hey, you know, you're know, you still moral and nice, so what's, what's different? Because everything is different. Because the gospel has saved me, everything. Jesus has done this in my life. The gospel comes in, you see you're not saved by what you do, but what Jesus has done to save you. You begin to understand Christianity. Christianity is understanding Jesus has prepared us to receive his peace and his grace. And we say, look what he's done. Jesus took all of my condemnation, all of my punishment. There's no way I can be condemned because he was crushed under the weight of my sins. Look how he loves me. Look how he brought peace to my life. Then how can we not then, understanding that peace, go out and offer peace to others? Because that peace has first been given to us. And so when Jesus asks you to pray, you pray. And Jesus asked you to serve. You serve. And Jesus asked you to give something up in your life. You give something up in your life. I mean, How could you not? That's how a believer thinks. I love God so much. How could I not? Understanding this gives incredible strength to actually live the life that we really say we want to live and not be crushed under the guilt and shame of our past lives. Tim Keller says this, There are only two ways you can have any motivation to live a righteous life, an honest life, a pure life. One is out of a fear of being hurt, and one is out of a fear of hurting the God who loves you. And a mark of the follower of Jesus when you find out because of what Jesus did that you can no longer be condemned. There is no punishment coming to you anymore. You're released to live a full, energetic life that is full of godly living. And when people say things like, oh, you tell people they're forgiven by God and they're not going to be punished for their sins because they're laid on Jesus, people are going to lose all incentive for living a godly life. People who say that have no understanding of the gospel. They do not understand the gospel or the peace of God. Which leads to, number four, which is truth. Which is truth. Where do all of these great things come from in Mary's life? You know, Mary's got a new center. She's got wonder. She's got amazing joy. She's got this zeal that doesn't crush but leads her to be holy. It's that she grasps the truth. She understands the truth. In verse 49, she says that God is the mighty one, the holy one. In verse 50, she says that he's the merciful one she realizes the truth of the scriptures, that God is holy, that God is righteous, that He demands goodness and righteousness, and yet He's still compassionate, and He still brings us peace, and He's loving. How can God be both? What she realizes is it all comes together in the one who is growing inside of her. It all comes together in Jesus. And Jesus is born, He lives His life, He dies, He rises from the dead, He fulfills the law, He pays the debt. And now God adopts us as his children. God brings peace to his children because God loves us, not because we are so good, but because he is that good. That's the beauty of the gospel. I think Mary gets it. I mean, you know, not com- fully because I don't think any of us ever fully get it. I mean, there'll be times when Jesus is 12 and she forgets and she's like, you know, but I think she starts to get it. The love of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God are going to come and they're going to kiss in her baby they come together in Jesus she doesn't have this weird mystical experience all these great things flow out of her grasp of the truth of the gospel that the great and righteous God has come out of love to pay the debt that we owed God made peace with us because God is that good and God loves us in the same way and I think in a different way too Like Jesus was formed to Mary and she got it, you know. I think that kind of forming still happens in us. I mean, if you're a dude, you're not going to have a baby. Trust me. You're welcome. Okay. But but this but this whole idea of how Jesus and the gospel was formed to that happens to us as well. The holiness of God and the love of God kiss inside of us as God's Holy Spirit has Christ come and dwell within us as believers. And we start to live in centrality, wonder, fear, and the love of the truth. We live in God's peace that is given to us. And the question at the end of Advent comes down to, are they happening in you? Are they happening in you? And if you are a believer in Jesus, are you living in this wonder? In this great graciousness of this great God who has saved you? Are you living in, well, oh, i got to go to church again. Well, oh, i got to do this. Jesus says I can't. Or do you live in this, oh my goodness, look what God has done? If you are not a believer today, I mean, what, what are you basing your life on? Where does your wonder come from? What's the centrality of your life? See, Advent is about hope and love and joy and peace, the wonder and the grace of Jesus that has been given to us as a people. And the offer is there, and God is calling God is drawing. I mean, maybe you go through some things in your life and you're like, I don't understand this, I don't get that, and you're starting to get a little frustrated about things. That is God calling and drawing you. You ever do something stupid and say, I can't believe I did that again. Why did I do that again? That's God calling you and drawing you. And working. I mean, you you may you may have spent a lot of your life in a place of this like confused submission. Okay, I believe in Jesus, I want to follow, but God doesn't just want to leave you in confused submission. He wants to bring you to a place of comprehension of His grace. I was talking to somebody last service afterward, and they, and they said, I live most of my life in confused submission. And I said, why is that? And she said, a lot of bad things have happened in my life. And I said, and she goes, and so I feel like I, I just live a lot of my life there because I don't understand all this stuff, but I trust that God's good. And I said, yeah, but that's moving to the next phase. You understand even when bad things happen, you may not get it all. But you move to the place of where you trust His goodness in the midst of that. You trust that the gospel, what Jesus has spoken, is good, and He is true, and He is right. This is one of the reasons we talk about communion every single week. You know, communion is the place where you come and you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken you. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It's meant to represent what Christ eventually came to do to pay the debt of sin that we owed. And so when you take communion, you remember that this great God has come to bring us peace by his death and his resurrection, washing our sins away. And what that again means is that we now get to have peace with God, but he also washed away what stood between us and others, which means God's people are meant to be peacemakers. We're meant to be those who extend the peace of God to other people as well. Uh, The band's going to come up. And as they do, when we invite you guys to take communion, uh, there'll be some deacons in the back, and if you guys need prayer, uh, they would love to pray with you, especially if you're in a spot where you don't understand, you know, maybe some of the things of the gospel. Of you. Maybe, maybe you're like, okay, I'm ready for a confused submission. <laughs> That's a good place to be. Maybe you're in a place where you just want to argue about it. I, don't get it. I don't get it. That's also an okay place to be. Because the gospel, what God is doing is the thing that is going to work in you because it's God drawing you. I mean, our our prayer is that we'd all be a people who live in the place of understanding and comprehension, that all of our lives we live in this wonder of the grace of God, but we don't always typically do that. But the message of Christmas and the message of Advent is that we can be a people who get there because God is the one who takes us there. And so we trust Him in what He is doing in the midst of our lives and the course of what happens, because He is the one who is good, and He is the one who has brought peace. And so we as a people live in His peace, and they'd love to pray with you about any of that. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is in part of our worship. There's food and stuff in the back. Uh, don't eat all the cookies because we do want to give them away to a couple organizations, uh, like the VA, or give them some to the VA and to the police department. The guys that have to work on Christmas Eve and stuff and things like that. So we are going to be giving. Them, so don't eat them all, unless someone's going to have to be making cookies tomorrow might be you. I don't know. Uh, But grab meet some other people and start to have some of these discussions. I mean, maybe you get to sit down with somebody else who is in a place of confused submission just like you. And you start to work through some of those things. I mean, the beauty of the gospel is that even in the midst of our doubts or or our our confusion, God doesn't stop seeking us. He doesn't stop calling us. He doesn't stop loving us. He doesn't stop extending his peace because the gospel is about Jesus and what he has done. And so he is the one that extends that to us and calls us and draws us to a place of coming home. And guys, that's the meaning of Christmas. It's not giving gifts, even though they're cool. right? It's not Star Wars, even though I hope it's cool. I haven't seen it. You know? it's, it is Jesus, first and foremost, central in our lives. And we live in wonder and amazement and love of what he has done with this idea of the truth that God has given to us. Because he is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who live with the centrality of who you are. That we would honor you with our lives. Not because we're afraid you're going to smash us. But because we do understand your goodness and holiness. But we love you so, so much that we want to bring great joy to who you are. Father I ask that you would teach us today how to live lives of wonder and amazement as we understand the truth of the gospel that we couldn't help but sing for joy because we realize that you are the one who has sought us and you are the one who has brought peace and that we would never sit back and think, oh, it's because I was good enough or I was so wonderful. We would sit back and stand in wonder in amazement because we realize who we really are. And we truly begin to understand who you really are. That everything about how we live what we call our Christian life would change and be renewed in light of the truth and the beauty of your gospel, of your good news that the great God who has made everything has sought to bring grace and peace to his people again by coming to be with them and love them and draw them home. Teach us to be a people who live in your peace and extend it to others as we understand more and more deeply what you have done to save us. And that we every day would stand in amazement of our great and good God who has saved us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.